Okay, hey, we are on the final section of 2 Samuel, four chapters here. It's kind of like an epilogue, I guess you could say, and it's not necessarily chronological at all. Uh, it's about more information about the reign of David, and uh, you see the Lord's anger here, we see covenant, we see battles, we see David's songs, actually, that he wrote, uh, a, some a couple of them or so, and warriors. Uh, the basic one that we're really held on tonight is uh, covenant promise. And uh, the covenant promise must be maintained. Because that resembles God and His covenant promise. This covenant was actually made 400 years from the time of David and uh, it's going to be broken at this time or it was during the time of Saul. So that has to be cleaned up. That's what God says. And also, everybody's familiar with Goliath. But what about his sons and uh, generations after him? Do you know much about other Goliaths? That's what's in store tonight. So anyway, that's what we're doing. Let's pray. Father, great holy God, we thank you for who you are and what you do. Lord, we thank you for your character and the God who never breaks promise. Everything that you've said, it comes true. And so we take great pleasure in knowing that what you are going to do is going to happen. And it gives us great assurance, great comfort, in a world that we live in that is very uncomfortable at the same time we know you're right there and you are never just behind the scenes Lord you are controlling it so uh, as we look in this section tonight we uh, pray for more insight into how you work and what your plan is in Jesus name Amen okay uh, starts off with a, a famine and uh, it's about making it right with the Gibeonites. David has to make this thing right. So uh, we are going to take the first few verses here. I would say, uh, Avell, do a kid. Okay, I'm going to pick on you here. Let's see if you can if you can read two verses. <laughs> now there was a famine in the days of David for three years year after year, and David sought the face of the Lord. And the Lord said, There is blood guilt on Saul and on his house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the people of Israel, but of a remnant of the Amorites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. I well, think better that time. That's you're better. even better one-eyed. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was seeing a little no. bit No, there were no names in there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's right. It's like, oh no, I'm blind in both eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm keeping an eye on you. Okay. So what we have here is Israel has uh, been suffering from a three-year drought. It's a famine. Now, when we enter into this, we don't really know when this is. It's not really chronological. We can say it's after the time that Saul had been killed and his sons. And we know David is king. So we do know that. We don't know exactly when after that, though. How do we know it's not chronological? Huh? How do we know it's not chronological? Well, I can say as we look a little bit further near the end of this chapter that it probably is close to the end of David's reign, maybe. Maybe it's getting close to that because he no longer becomes a warrior after that. Uh, But 
we it goes back and forth and through these last four chapters that's really what it is I mean it's kind of in a little bit earlier and then a little bit later so uh, and it doesn't have to be chronological um, we know that there was a revolt that was put down and that's where we kind of left it last time and so here we are here with the the deal with the Gibeonites. It just brings a story in. It's kind of interesting that, boom, here it is, right out there for us to see. Um, so, but that's what most of your commentators will say that we we really don't, and we don't. It's not told when this this happened, um, but it's probably a little bit further into his reign. It would be for sure. Like after Uh, it could be. It could be. Uh, yeah. We, right, the worthless fellow. That was Sheba, wasn't it? I'm lacking here. Of this tribe thing, that's what I'm seeing in my mind. This is tribal, tribal, tribal. This is like a This is tribe and tribe war and tribe. This is a real nation. This is tribe and tribe and tribal warfare. Am I. Am I in Israel right now? Is that where I am in this battle? Where is, where, where is this David and Goliath happening? Okay, you mean in chapter 21? Yeah, it's it's the Israelites against the Philistines in that particular uh, war that goes on. And so, it's like, when was that? Well, uh, he had battles constantly against the Philistines very early on whenever he originally uh, defeated Goliath. That was before he even became king, wasn't it? And then later on, we see that there are other Goliaths. And that's against the Philistines. In the case that we did, like last week, it was actually a civil war. And yeah, it was the tribes against the tribes. And it looked like all the tribes were going to get together, you know, and be for David. Then all of a sudden, Sheba revolts, and he gets a lot of people to follow him of the Israelites and even, the, you know, of course, the Benjamites. You know, that's what, you know, he, he was. And so what you get out of that is um, a dividing of the nation of Israel, which it's one country. That's 12 tribes. But the 12 tribes are, of course, the, coming from the, the sons of, you think of Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. And that's what became the twelve tribes. And David is of uh, Judah, and that is the tribe that is where the king will come from. Um, and of course, the ten tribes later on will separate completely, not too long off from now, after David. And then you will have a divided Israel completely. Here it, it gave us a little glimpse of what it is for Israel to divide like that. We haven't really seen any kind of civil war before. But in this case, there kind of was. But it was put out quick. But wait till later. It's probably just a precursor for things to come. So the ten tribes that would be the northern tribes, that uh, they were the first one to be judged by God as he brought the Assyrians on, and then, of course, Judah and Benjamin, the other two tribes, were taken by Babylon uh, a little bit later after that. Uh, and they were, they were judged. So, at any rate, uh, whether they were together or whether they were not, they both disobeyed God. That's the problem. But unified, as they were whenever they came into the Promised Land, it was a definite advantage. They were all for each other, but there you go. You're always going to have some tribal battles and wars, and I'm sure there's a lot of them in here that are not even recorded. Yeah. You know, there's always a, a pride that, uh, you know, even states here in the United States, are, you know, uh, they have the border wars between Missouri well, and Kansas, for well, instance. Well, like, what are you saying? Is it because they don't have the borders? For like the Philistine country, this is the state of Philistine, <laughs> and this is the state of Israel, and this is the state of the Gibeon, and you know, do they do they not have that? They just kind of said. <laughs> well, they well they would have their lines there, yeah. 
Definitely. I mean, when you knew when you were in Philistine territory, and, and you knew when you were in Israel, and, you know, run just like river, borders of you. All the tribes had their own land. Of course, you go back right, right. earlier and you see how they're divided up. So the, so the Gibeonites... If the Gibeonites go all the way back, there were those people who pretended to travel from one land to another because they heard the Israelites were coming, so they pretended to be poor and like they had stale bread with them so that the Israelites wouldn't wipe them out. This is the same group of people. Right, and that's up people, and it's 400 years now. That was way back in Joshua. So how do we have to honor that? They lied in the first place to get that. Well, because they made a covenant safety. with God Himself. So they got the safety... But it was through deceit. So how? Why, why do we even have to? I mean, why is that a thing? Which is a problem. And they made a covenant. But they lied about. I mean, if they. I mean, they, but they they did pay the penalty for it because <laughs> they were they were told that they would be slaves and workers of wood and stuff like that. So I mean, yeah, they got to live, but they they have to live as slaves now to the Israelites. There will always be servants to them now. So it actually worked for a positive. Mm-hmm. And but but the deal is, and that's kind of what our focus is tonight here, is it's covenant. Mm-hmm. And to God, he is it, it's extremely significant. Uh, and as far as God is concerned, with all the covenants that he's done, it points to Christ. And it points that he his promise is always good. Despite what maybe one of the other covenant people that you you made with, uh, maybe with what they did. Now they tried to to trick Israel, but they knew about. And here's the deal: they knew about Israel's God, and they wanted to be protected by Israel because God is doing a thing with Israel, and they believed that. And that's why a covenant was actually made with them, even though they didn't have to make that covenant, but once they did, it sticks. And as far as God is concerned, whenever there's a covenant made, you never, ever, never, 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 ever break that covenant. Because God is the covenant keeper. And so even though they tried to trick the Israelites, at the same time, they they wind up protecting them and vice versa, you've got you've got slaves, and here it is four hundred years later, and they've always been there. Which I can see why Saul would try to take them out. Because, you know, in his zeal for the Israelites, he's like, Well, they deceived us in the first place, so why keep them around? We'll just take them out as well. Yeah. And that's why that God to God Whenever somebody says something, they are to do it. What do you say? Let your yea be yea and your no be no. If you tell somebody you're going to do something, we live in an age where people can back out of anything they want. They can tell something uh, one day to somebody and then something else comes up. Oh, well, you know, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to them. You know, I'll go in and do my, you know, it. Whatever, whatever comes along. And that's how fickle people are because they they don't know what a covenant is or even when you tell somebody you're going to do something and you don't do it. Uh, and we've all experienced that. How many times does it happen? You know, but back where, you know, thinking about who God is and what He's about, His Word is true. And so it really represents Him. The Israelites said something and that's going to stick. Forever, a covenant is never to be broken, and so that's why in the in the covenant that he made with Abraham, it's a unconditional covenant. Uh, the covenant that he made with David is unconditional. The uh, Noahic covenant, I'll never bring on flood that would destroy the world. That is a covenant that he made and he never broke it. Uh, and then, of course, you have the Mosaic Covenant, the law, which is actually only fulfilled, and that was conditional. We break it all the time. But through Christ, He is the one that made the covenant stick. He does it 
We can't follow it. But because of his actions and what he's done, and that, that's what, and that's why the the violation of Israel's covenant uh, of the Gibeonites is so serious here. It was foolishly uh, entered in by the leaders of Israel. Uh, maybe they should never have made that covenant, but when they did make it, they were obliged to keep that covenant forever. So whether whether they should have done it or not. Well, there it is. But these people did believe in the true God. And that's what's cool about it and how God works through all of this. So it says um, that you have the famine and David seeks the Lord, seeks His face, seeks the presence. Uh, And I would think he's probably been praying before, but after three years, he really is real, real serious that he does whatever it takes to get to God and say, what is this? And the Lord said, in, in ever, however way it was said, uh, it's for Saul and his bloody house because he put the Gibeonites to death. So he asked God what it is. He gets the answer. Saul acted in a way that was completely out of keeping with the past. Historically, they have done really well with these Gibeonites. 400 years, and now all of a sudden, he wants to annihilate the Gibeonites. Uh, he has a thought of being able to destroy them, just like you know, in the book of Esther, you had uh, uh, there they want to destroy the Jews. Or we've seen Hitler wants to destroy the Jews or all of the uh, Middle Eastern nations for the most part want to destroy the Jews, push them all into the Mediterranean. Well, it's been like that for a long time. But um, here we have uh, David getting the answer and he's found out that it was because of Saul. And so David knows that somehow there has to be some kind of an atonement made for obtaining the blessing of the Gibeonites so that the blessings come from God by, you know, through the removal of the, the famine. The Gibeonites must bless Israel, the people of God, in order for God to once again bless Israel. Three years of a famine, I guess. Yeah. Imagine you'd be like, Lord, why do we have this famine? What is going on? Because like, they must have been really confused because it could have been a number of things depending on you know, how far into the future this is from where we left off. You know, it could have been a number, of, a number of reasons why they were having famine. So... Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of Maybe he has a dry spell, you know, spiritually in a sense like that. Uh, of course, it's not because of his own life, but there are times where you know our life is kind of dry spiritually, and yeah, we read the word, but we're just not really pursuing the Lord. You know, I don't know. I would tend to think, yeah, he prays all the time. I've got a feeling. I think you know, a man after God's own heart. But there probably were times that maybe wasn't as intense as certain times here. I have to wonder if he really got serious and maybe uh, fasting and praying became very intense now. Really seeking the Lord and somehow he gets this answer and I have to think that maybe the Lord just spoke right to him. Usually he speaks through one of the prophets to David could have been that way here doesn't say just said the Lord said it's for Saul bloody house because he put the Gibeonites to death and of course David would have known about what that was about but the key word there in verse 2 is that the sons of Israel made a covenant with them 
But Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the sons of Israel and Judah. He wants to get them removed. Maybe in, uh, maybe in an organized way. Uh, some little bit at a time or whatever. So uh, what do we have? 3, 4, and 5, and 6. Uh, take it on there, one-eyed man. <laughs> <laughs> Let me find the page here. Right. And David said to the Gibeonites, What shall we do for you? And how shall I make atonement that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? The Gibeonites said to him, It is not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house. Neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. He said, And he said, what do you say that I shall do for you? They said to the king, The man who consumed us and planned to destroy us so that we should have no place in all the territory of Israel, let seven of his sons be given to us so that we may hang them before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul and cho uh, the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. So David. Oh, yeah, let's stop this. Yeah. David goes right to the Gibeonites. And he knows three years of famine. God told me what the deal is. And he goes right to them because he knows he put the Gibeonites to death. He's trying to make it right. Um, so he said, Hey, what, what can I do for you? You know, I want to make this right with you. And uh, of what happened with Saul. How can I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord, that you would bless us? Um, how can we make it right? So I think David must have sensed that this was what they would request. Um, I'm not sure, but he asked them whatever they wanted, and he assured them that he would grant them the petition. And so they come up with it, and they said, well, it's not money. There, you know, atonement cannot be an atonement by money. Matter of fact, an atonement is made by what? Blood. And we know the atonement of what Christ did, it, it was paid for by the blood of Christ. And that is the new covenant. Christ had to die for us, right? These guys are saying there has to be bloodshed. And it's coming from Saul's family. These sons, grandsons, whatever. And uh, so there's going to be death. And you're amazed by this. You would think, well, David say, well, hey, anything but that. We could give you money, you know, or we could give you, you know, maybe some more land or whatever. No, it's, they're not wanting anything like that. There has to be an atonement. That's the, really the only thing that God is going to be satisfied with. There had to be blood shed. This is blood. As a matter of fact, it is for Saul and his bloody house, right? Because right. he shed blood, and that's what it's going to take here. I'm wondering if that's why God waited three years. Because, you know, if you, if you waited a little bit, like a year, and then you were presented with... Oh yeah, we want to sacrifice. You know, we want atonement. We want the sons of Saul. You know, it, it almost seems like it'd be easier to be like, well, well, can we work out a different kind of deal? They were desperate. Yeah, but after three years, you're like, Lord, what do we need to do? Anything? We'll do anything at this point. And then you're like, oh well, right. Sorry, this isn't gonna happen. <laughs> it's it's you you people or the whole Israelite nation. So you know, you guys are gonna have to. And that's really what he's saying to him. Yeah. Well, anything that you guys say. Yeah. And, you know, it almost sounds outlandish, but uh, not really. I kind of want to come from, like, you know, Saul's children's mm -hmm. perspective, you know, being like, why do I got to suffer because my, my father or my grandfather, what he did, you know, I, I had nothing to do with that. What is that passage? The sins of right. the father, you know, be passed down, but, uh, you know, we are, we don't, we shouldn't, we don't suffer because 
we're not held responsible for our father's right. sin, they're for not, instance. I feel like they're not going to be judged like when they die. They're not going to be condemned because of what Saul did. They're just having to be put to death. Their life is going to be shortened. Right. So, but And you know, there's a New Testament passage like if I was an alcoholic and I raised my kids up giving them alcohol, turning them into alcoholics, you know, that would be like me passing my sins on to my children, causing them trouble and chaos as they grow up. So, you know, I would be responsible for that. They wouldn't be necessarily responsible for what I did to them, but at some point in their own walk, you know, the Lord, I hope, would intervene, but, you know, at some point, you know, they would be responsible for their own alcoholic addiction. Mm -hmm. But you know, there are consequences of what the father does, right. though, that can be passed on, right. and they follow suit with that. But they are held responsible because it can stop right there mm. in that line. Right. So we we know that you're held responsible for your own sin. But in this case, what you have is a, a special case. Mm where there has to be bloodshed, they're, ask, they're asking for an extermination, and um, it's interesting that it's seven men, Yeah. but seven is completeness, it's right. fullness. That will be done, and it will be taken care of. And it's a shame that it has to happen there, but we don't know what would have happened had these men, these seven, Later on, what would happen if David passes on and then, you know, maybe... Yeah. What if they lead a rebellion? We're from Saul, and uh, so therefore we should be king, or one of them, you know. know, In God's mind, He knows all the different possibilities that could happen. Although, that's not going to happen, and His will is being done here. Really it is because there has been a covenant broken and there was blood shed. Somebody has to pay for it. You say, well, Saul did. You know, he died and such. But this was quite significant of what he had done in the killing. And they say seven. And it would be nipped in the bud then. And uh, they were going to be hanging him. And of course, you look through uh, Old Testament same in Genesis 40 that, that you know very serious crimes where there would be a hanging and what they're doing is they're carrying out God's will here in a way that would satisfy him a propitiation and it would satisfy them as well and never again would they ever use what Saul did for against it it's like that covenant which is to be taken so seriously, is. And they they would carry out the execution before the city of Saul, before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul. I think it's kind of interesting that God waited so long to bring this back into account. But like after everything we've read, it's almost like, well, where would you have put it if you didn't put it right here? You know? Yeah. Why didn't he do it while Saul was alive? Well, he not didn't. Because Saul would not have repented. <laughs> well, probably, that's there's a good chance. He would would he have done what David did? He'd probably make it worse. <laughs> you know, he has a habit of doing that. He'd probably make it worse somehow. So you see David's character here. He sticks with what his nation, and he knew history. History counts. You can't erase history. It is very key to Israel. And you look in the Psalms, you look all through the prophets, and they'll always mention about the covenants that God had made with the people and how then that they had rebelled against Him. And it's over and over and over. You know, and it's Joshua and then Judges, the book of Judges, over again, isn't it? But God always, even though He punishes His nation that he gave birth to it's interesting that he brings them back though doesn't he because they are included in that covenant and he will never disclude the nation of Israel he's a God of promise very key so this covenant is really very important in this the covenant 
has to be kept. He expects us to keep our covenants. We are covenant keepers. That's what He expects us to be. Actually, He is the promise keeper and we are the promise breakers. But He expects us to be like Him and that means quit breaking the covenant. Well, what you have here are his descendants, and we're talking like children, grandchildren, are, uh, are, you know, on forth. There's seven of them, to, and it even mentions uh, who they are. We haven't read that yet. Yeah. Um, what about Mephibosheth? Right. Okay. Read. Read seven through nine. Oh, okay, I've got a question. In the middle six, or toward the end, it says, Unto the Lord and give you of soul, whom the Lord did choose. Right. That's how it's written. Uh-huh. Does that mean that the Lord is going to choose the seven? Or what does that mean? Well, that would be that the, the Gibeonites are saying the chosen of the Lord was Saul. There, and David would often use that language, even as bad as he was, and evil as he was in a lot of cases, he was still the chosen by the Lord. David honored that how many times and wherever he could have killed him, but you know, David could have killed him. But yeah, that's a good question. I'm glad you got that because that's a key one right there. They recognize, see they know what the history of Israel is too. It's almost like they're Israelites. They're not, yeah. but they would like to be, yeah. and that's how you. Know, and that's what God did with us. He brought us into covenant. It wouldn't be the first time that God's brought a pagan nation into repentance. Exactly. So they get to worship God from afar because mm-hmm. they're Gentiles, but yet they are included in a, in a covenant that's pre- precluding what will happen later on when massive. Nations from all over the world then will follow Christ, you know, and so therefore they recognized that God had chosen him, so they bring him in there. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot about that. So you know, the king said, "I'll give him the seal." Here's verse seven. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's son Jonathan, because of the oath of the Lord that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. The king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, Arami and Mephibosheth, is that Mephibosheth? Yeah. and the five sons of Merah, the daughter of Saul, whom she bore to Ariel, the son of Barzillo. Sorry about that, Phil. <laughs> oh, man. You've had a whole life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're right. We agree. Oh, close. <laughs> and he gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the mountain before the Lord, and the seven of them perished together. They were put to death in the first day of harvest at the beginning of barley harvest. Okay. First of all, the king said, because of a covenant, you did good. Because of the covenant, remember the covenant that David had with Jonathan. And of course, here's where Mephibosheth comes in and David says, no, you can't take Mephibosheth. He would have been a likely one, wouldn't he have? Very much so. He says, no. No way. Uh, because of the covenant. The son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, right? Because of the oath of the Lord. So there again, the oath of the Lord, the covenant that was made, which was between them, between David and Saul and Jonathan. So that covenant is still honored. That can't preclude, but there are other ones. There's still seven that can be found. So the king took the two sons of Rizpah. Who's Rizpah? Well, a concubine of Saul. Go back to chapter 3, verse 7 to see that. We know uh, um, 
then there's another Mephibosheth that's mentioned here, Armani and Mephibosheth, and that's not the Mephibosheth that we just read about. It's uh, He was a son of Saul, but different from the son of Jonathan. So whom she had born to Saul, and so therefore Ritzpah uh, has two sons, and then Merab, the daughter of Saul, has five sons. So we're talking like grandchildren here, aren't we? Those kind of descendants. Um, she had born to Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the <laughs> it gets real tricky there. So, it, David says, okay, that's the seven. And they hanged him. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not so sure that David has really taken joy in all this. But this is part of the covenant and what a cost it is. You know what? It's... Uh, God could have rid himself of, you know, those people, but God kept his covenant, you know. And he kept it by bringing adversity to the nation of Israel. He kept bringing adversity to them because of their disobedience, but yet his promises still stood true. Maybe to their sons and grandsons or on further, but a lot of them suffered too because of what their fathers and mothers did, right? So this kind of is weird, but it almost like this, what's happening here, is almost a way of God letting the Gibeonites know that I'm for you too. Like I'm not just here for Israel, my people. I They made a covenant with you. You too are my people, and I'm showing you that I'm here for you. That would be like us who are Gentiles being included into the new covenant. Right. Because, I mean, I can I could totally see if I was an Israelite and I was witnessing this, I could see, like, there'd be, you know, maybe animosity in me towards these Gibeonites. Like, who do these Gibeonites think they are? What rights do they think that they have? Just because our forefathers made a covenant with their forefathers, you know. But... It's kind of so I can see like from an Israelite perspective, if people would be like, "Oh, you Gibeonites think you have some right to this," but they do, and God is saying, "I love you. You're still my people, even though you're amongst my people. I made a, there's a covenant between us, and I'm going to honor." And that, that's that's special grace, isn't it? Even though they weren't originally yeah, so in that right covenant. There. So what great promises is involved there? Uh, I think it's incredible, you know, this is like a foreshadow of the gospel. And God demands blood covenant. And to people that are not from America, but other nations, uh, they are familiar with blood covenants. You're willing to shed blood. They're willing to shed blood when you enter into that. And it means no matter what comes between us, we will stick with our word. And that's how much important this is that God brought this drought in three years. <clears throat> and so He did. And quite the adversity brought, brought on. Money cannot atone for this. But it's the shedding of blood. It's, that's what brings in the New Testament, the New Covenant. What else can wash away our sins? What can wash away our sins? Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Uh, we know about that flood, don't we? Boy, it really offends a lot of people, though. According to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There, in a sacrifice like that, that's the only way that there would be forgiveness. Here we have it in a picture form here that God brings forth. It's rather radical. Yeah, I can see People like, had to die. Like, when talking to like non-believers and stuff, you know, it's like there are so many things to avoid <laughs> the Gospel when speaking to these people because you're like, ah, we can't talk about that yet. Like, ah, you don't need to worry about that yet. 
can use, we'll give you milk and honey, and you focus on that until you're ready for some mm -hmm. solid food. Because it's so easy to hear something like this and go like, oh, see, I don't want anything to do with God because he wants sacrifice because of, you know. So it's just. It's like a bloody sacrifice. Yeah, I can, I can see why people would be. It's very offensive. Yeah, they can That's why it says it's a stumbling block. Yeah. Um, it's, it's offensive uh, to anybody that hears something like that. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace. Ephesians 1.7 Which is amazing because Christ gave the new covenant. You know, God no longer needs any of these sacrifices with anybody because as long as a person knows Christ and is redeemed and you know, gets to know who Christ is and who God is to studying the word and praying and fasting then they're, they're not going to make us some silly covenant or right so there's no more need for an, an act like this can we say that we're seeing the gospel here? Wow. You know, God's good time is that He did deal with the sin, but He doesn't deal with it right at the time. And there have been many times that we wonder, why is He waiting? And that's usually what He does. He doesn't deal with it immediately, does He? It's usually over the course of time. And in His good timing, His, His good pleasure, He deals with sin. And sometimes certain people think, well, if He doesn't immediately deal with sin, then He'll never deal with it. So the seven men are hanged. So that they they uh, they die there, and uh, it was a, it's interesting. And they were put to death in the first days of harvest, at the beginning of barley harvest. And look at verse ten. And Ritzpah, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth, spread it for herself on the rock, from the beginning of harvest. See, there's the har harvest until it rained on them from the sky. And she allowed neither the birds of the sky to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. Did you notice the rain came after the men were hanged? It's whenever, you know, she takes the sackcloth and it's like a, she spreads it for herself on the rock and kind of makes like a tent out there and whatever, and, and it rained on them from the sky. God just answered what was David's prayer. And that is what happens whenever people are taking God seriously. So they did. This was real serious, wasn't it? Uh, let's take 11 through 14. Okay. When David was told that Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, the concubine of Saul, had done, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan from the men of who had stolen them from the public square of Bethshan where the Philistines had hanged them. On the day of the Philistines killed Saul on Gibeah, and he brought up from there the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan. And they gathered the bones of them who were hung, and they buried the bones of Saul, his son Jonathan, in the land of Benjamin, in Zillah, in the tomb of Kish, his father. And they did all that the king commanded. And after that, God responded to the plea of the land. There you go. And that's where God did it. It was not until after the burial of Saul's bones and his sons 
does the famine end? Right there in 14 that we see that's where it does happen. The rain comes. Well, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I guess it wasn't enough. Now, this is in the... Uh, and that's going to be in the early spring. I'm just saying basically what time of the year it was, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they have a damage, but it's not like Yeah, they, they put it, yeah, they, they, it was really, really getting bad, and I'm sure there are different places where you could have some kind of growth, not, not a lot, so that's where they were at, this uh, Ritzpah, the, the daughter, happens to be the concubine of Saul, is the one that uh, has her two sons, and that she comes out there, you know, they, they weren't removed from their, hanging, which in the law it says to take them down after they die. You know, there's some honor there, right? Well, she goes there and she tries to protect them. There wasn't a proper burial there. Um, and so David responds, he hears about this, and the bodies of Saul and his sons were taken by the Philistines you remember what happened to them, and they were hanged right from the wall of Beth Shan. They just hung them out there, and it, you know they uh, did uh, great dishonor to them, uh, knowing that that would be dishonor not only to you know the, that king, but the whole nation of Israel. Here, take this, and so you've got the men that marched there from Jabesh Gilead. They stole those bodies, and then they burned them, and then they buried the bones. Under a tree at Jabesh, so and because <clears throat> it doesn't exactly say, but he said he went and got them. So are they just in an area where they can just? They go, knew where they were at. They can just go and get them. Yeah, it was under that that tree. But it was a, a proper. Uh, a tamarisk a tree, right. so they knew where they were I'm at. They're, they're yeah. not in like that's in Philistine area, right? So they just go to the Philistine area, get the bones, take them back, and there's like no... Okay, yeah, that's... The, yeah, the men stole that, and then they brought brought those bones back there to, you know, at least to have some kind of an honor, you know, where they wouldn't be, right. you know, letting the birds or the animals or whatever, you know, that happens with bodies just be hanging like that. So they came in there at night, stole those, and uh, took off, and then they... They buried basically what was the remains there, what what was left. But there still wasn't a proper burial, although they had been rescued from. A, it was a shameful display by the Philistines. You think they would have done that? You think, yeah, you think they would have. I, I wondered if they were concerned that they would that wouldn't become a tug of war back in the course, so maybe they don't just stay buried there, just to keep that. Under the Tamaris tree, you mean? Yeah, I, I guess that's what really wakes up David about it. Okay, there are the seven, you know, the descendants of Saul, and there, you know, there they are. And here are the ones from, you know, Saul and Jonathan, the others, and he's really putting it together, and they hadn't been buried in a proper way. And so David arranged by the bones of Saul and his three sons and the tomb of Saul's father and the seven sons that were just executed. Once they were buried, the matter would be closed then and once for all. So there's a link there between the execution of Saul's seven sons by the Gibeonites here and then the actions of Rizpah, what she was doing there, trying to protect them and shooing off the birds and whatever it was. She just hung around there. And so he kind of came to the rescue on this. And he knows the history. And here it is, it's Saul. Now he did like Jonathan very well. But Saul, he could have said, ah, he can just rotten. <clears throat> but no, he still has honor for this family, this royal family. Uh, they're all Saul's sons in that way. And, you know, they all were hung. So David sees the connection brings them to the place of which was Saul's father. And they had a decent burial there with the bones. And, uh, so he linked them in with, with all of this. And so it's finally done. Um, 
a little word about the, the next section where it's 7 o'clock. I'll just kind of go through each verse. David, now this is, we don't know when this is. I don't know why, why this is even linked here. But the Holy Spirit sees fit that it is. And so therefore, I'm not going to try to make something that it's not. Here it is. When was this done? Well, I would tend to think later on in David's reign. Now when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, and it was constant all the way, David was a man of war, he was a great warrior, the greatest. David went down to his servants with him, and as they fought against Philistines, David became weary. I think he's getting older here. I think he's getting along uh, near the near the end, at least for his days of being a warrior. Uh, David usually doesn't get where well anybody can get tired if they're on the run and such but um, the men are starting to get kind of concerned about it then Ishbi Binob who was among the descendants of the giant now he's a Philistine he's a descendant of when it says giant who we think of Goliath the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze in weight he was girded with a new sword and he intended to kill David. You get the king, boy, you've got great victory here. But look at this. Remember Abishai? Mm-hmm. Abishai, the son of Zeriah, you always notice that? <laughs> helped him and struck the Philistine and killed him. Now you notice, helped David. David actually is in on killing another giant. But if David would have take, tried to take him by himself, he couldn't have done it like he did whenever he was 13, 14, whatever he was. Well, he Abishai. He was 13 anyway. He could have done it because God did it. <laughs> right. It's always God. you know. And David recognized all that. But here he is, and if it had not been for Abishai, he could have been killed there. But God you know, intervened. Abishai, no matter what David thinks of Abishai, and we know all the things he's done. <laughs> there he is again. I'm surprised it wasn't Joab. I'm just saying. Well, how many, that's right. I'm just surprised. That's right. That's right. It could have been him too. But you know how Abishai, he likes, whenever he gets an opportunity, he kills the giant. David has done that before. Well, this time David needed help. Besides the Lord, right? Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out again with us to battle, <laughs> so that you do not extinguish the lamp of it. You're too valuable. We need you to be the king. And the king usually led in war. David almost got killed this time. And they they realized it. So you're too important. Go. <clears throat> I tend to think this is late. Very late. Don't you guys? Yeah, when we're reading this, I think he's old and gray and wrinkly in the face. That's because what I did. Why you never got old and wrinkly? That'd be wrinkled and tired. He just seems like a very old man right now. Losing his zest. Yeah, losing that. Well, David goes home. <laughs> That's pretty old. Okay. Thirty-five or something. Oh, we've been ancient for a long time. Then. Now, verse eighteen. It came about this that there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai the Hushathite struck down Saph, who was among the descendants of the giant. So there, we know we have Goliath. Now we have this one who just got killed by David and Abishai. So in 19, or in 18, you have um, Sibachai the Hushathite, who actually is, you know, defending, you know, Israel here. And uh, guess what? He kills the giant. Well, uh, verse 19, there's war with the Philistines again, and Gob and Ethanan, the son of Jara, Oregim, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite. This is a different Goliath 
Goliath get tight? You know, Goliath Jr. or, or uh, what is George Foreman? What did he name his sons? George. George. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> and so there is no reason to say, well, I've got problems with this. You know, this is Goliath, and it says here that it's uh, Elhanan, the son of yeah, Bethlehemite. Actually, he came from the area of David, Bethlehem. So some people say, well, that was another name for David. Elhanan, well... Maybe that's stretching it. I, you know, I really think, you know, that's one of the the things that come up, and they'll say, "Well, Goliath the Gittite." I don't have any problem. Is Goliath Junior? You know? Goliath the Third. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or just call him George. Okay. The shaft whose spear was like a weaver's beam. There was war at Gath again. Remember Gath, where there was a man of how many giants has been killed there, right? Okay, we we got one more. There was war at Gath again when there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 digits in number. Or he had been born to the giant. This guy was different than all the other giants. He's got more toes and fingers. Let's say you're. I, I read this in the commentary. I thought it was pretty cool. A guy lines up in in football, and there you are. You're on the offense, offense, and this guy on the defense has these six fingers. It's twelve, and then find out you find out he's got twelve toes. Right, six on each foot. I wonder. Who, I'm wondering where that other finger fits in on that hand. I'm like, does it fit in here? It fits good. Well, it might have been a little bit bigger than yours. Oh, yeah. Six fingers, I hope so. The thing is, he didn't have a metal stand. That useless finger. So the final Goliath, the descendant anyway, is saved until the very last here. And no wonder. This fellow not only intimidated his opponents by his size, but by his <laughs> extremities. <laughs> Incredible, isn't he? And so when he defied Israel, uh, uh, Jonathan, the son of Shammai, David's brother, this is Shammai, it happens to be David's brother, stuck him down. So David has a brother that, that gets in on the act. He wouldn't do it first whenever David was real young. But later on, he says, hey, everybody's getting in on the act, and so, hey, why not? And so he struck him down. They got all the giants. And they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So David was in on at least two giants, wasn't he? Goliath and this guy with help. And then these guys take him on. So it's interesting that it's, that it's stuck here at the end of the chapter uh, about the battle with Philistines. And the warriors that David has to be able to continue on with this, I think these guys are something that they'll take the giants on and win. And because you used to think, well, David only. Huh? The giants aren't even Philistines. No, they're not, are they? No. Well, the Philistines keep dragging them over from wherever they're coming from. They're well, they're, they're from <laughs> what? They're from Goliath. Goliath is but I'm from... I'm saying they're not Philistines. Goliath wasn't a Philistine. Yeah, they, got, they dragged Goliath from somewhere else. Would he be considered a Philistine because he was born in a Philistine nation? Yeah, well, he lived there. Yeah, the they're all from there. Is this a contractor? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, but it shows that that's big victory when you're able to defeat these giants. Not only was there one, most people forget, and I kind of forgot about the other giants that were around. And they probably formed that band that was uh, popular in Christian music back in the 80s and the 90s called Giants. <laughs> David and the Giants. You guys remember that group? Is that a Christian group? Yeah, it was a Christian group. David and the Giants. Look it up. You have to listen to it. It's pretty hard rock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Claymation. The claymation. Yes. Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. Not a big word. <laughs> you know, you said the middle finger thing. In Europe, it is the middle finger. It's these. Oh, so there. Go back in the days of day, even back then. Who was the snipers of the day? The archers. The archers. So oh. you captured those guys, the long range shooters. These are the three fingers cut off. So this was a. In Europe, it's still a signature of defiance. It's like our middle finger over there. Mm -hmm. Good to have a little bit of history there. Yes, you put 